because I'm of a certain generation, every time she said informer, it just made me think of informer. You know, it's an Amazon, I got player, a leggy bum bum dad. An infected child who kind of flops into the car and then flops over the next seat. Very much me in an Uber after a drunken night out. <laughs> I do wonder if being immune to the Cordyceps virus, one of the side effects was narcolepsy. Black Panda, Wakanda forever. Connie Britton? I nearly said Fern Britain then, but that's a different Britain. Connie, the greater Britain, is very, very good. And all circus. Damer wears a kilt, I'll wear sarong. But as well as Henry, uh, there's another person that Kathleen hasn't found yet or is missing. That's Ruth, because she's ruthless. This podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Last of Us, Episode 5, Endure and Survive. My name's Adam Hemming, and I'm joined by three collaborators. Our very own superhero, Izzy Dixon. You wait, we didn't kill each other. Let's call this a win-win and move on. Indeed we shall. He may be a pessimist, but he's definitely not my dad. It's Damien Cooper. That's a weird fucking tone, man. <laughs> and I'm the most wanted man in Killer City, but he might just be the second. It's Neil Shepek. Well, I thought the beginning was a riot. <laughs> oh, it was indeed. And oh God, this episode had everything, didn't it? I mean, we had character development, we had action sequences, we had new characters, we had a flashback, we had a bit of a heartbreak. I mean, literally everything jam-packed into this episode. Should we have some initial reactions? So this is not the first time The Last of Us has made me cry. It is the first episode, though, that's made me go, no, out loud <laughs> at the end. With apologies to my housemate, who was alarmed. What an episode. I wasn't a huge fan of last week. I thought it was great, but it was it felt a little bit like filler and moving the story along. But I was right back in it this week. Absolutely loved it. Watching this the day after watching After Sun, just a little link to our Oscar sequence that is, is going to be going on. The whole father-daughter thing, After Sun is an amazing film, a beautiful, beautiful film. And it looks at the relationship between a child and a parent. And it did make me think about Joel and Ellie. And it also made me think about the brothers, as in Henry and Sam. And yeah, I just saw lots of parallels there, which which I absolutely love. It just gave that extra level for me watching this episode, which I thought was a stunning episode. As the resident Debbie Downer and person who has played the game, all I can say is, is that I bloody loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought loads of really nice sections that were very true to the game. A lot of big sections, faithfully recreated, and then some new stuff that was mind-blowing. Uh, a couple of nice reveals that Bradley and I were teasing an episode or two ago without wanting to be too explicit about it. But yeah, in the game, this section is really powerful and beautiful. The story of their interactions with Henry and Sam is such a powerful section of the game. And I think they did it justice. And Adam, what did you think? Because, well, we're informers. We inform. Yeah, well, I said last week that you shouldn't get too attached to these characters unless they're Ellie and Joel because they don't seem to stick around for very long. And that was very much borne out in this. I think I had the similar reaction to you, Izzy. I'm guessing at exactly the same point that it was just absolutely gutting. But yeah, really brilliantly done. Loved it. 
Right, let's get in. You mentioned the riot at the beginning, Neil. It's pretty brutal scenes of revolution in this. And we kind of find out why a bit later on in the episode. But it's real Storm the Bastille stuff. People are being hung, shot, dragged behind cars with knives stabbed into them. And we see all of this from the perspective of Henry and Sam. Henry's not an old boy. He's he's still quite young himself. But Sam, this is a lot for a, a young boy to deal with, I think. And that's kind of what we're getting from that opening sequence, right? Yeah, and the way that Kathleen and co are doing this, like there's no morality to it. I've written down, burn the bodies, it's faster. The other thing that we we learn here that we didn't learn at the end of the previous episode is that Sam is deaf. And so we see Henry doing some sign language. Now, in the game, Sam is not deaf. So that is quite a big change and a believe that's done so it shows even more of a reliance that Sam has on Henry and therefore the larger feeling of duty that Henry has to protect Sam. I thought that was beautiful. Just jumping ahead slightly, when Sam asks, is the guy coming back who had taken them in? Henry, he says yes, but his body language is a shrug, like, I don't know. And I found that really interesting, that what he was saying was different to what his body was saying. Yeah, it was a really beautiful relationship, I think, between the the two brothers. We also should have said we're watching an earlier sequence than we have done so in the show, right? We've got a, a bit of a flashback to the taking over of Kansas City by the people, Fedra being ousted. And then we've got to run up to the point where Joel and Ellie enter Kansas City in this this first section of the show. Let's talk about Kathleen then. I love, love, love Melanie Linsky's portrayal of Kathleen. I don't know if anyone has seen the press this week, but there's um, some stuff she said in interviews where she said that she deliberately wanted her to be quite like softly spoken and quite feminine and all the things you wouldn't associate with a character like that and all the things that female anti-heroes, villains are kind of not usually portrayed as. And I, yeah, I think it's such a great portrayal. It's so... She's almost like a primary school teacher telling you off, but she's deeply, deeply, like, just on a quest for blood. And there's something so terrifying about that betrayal. Saw it a bit last week, but I think even more so this week. Just blown away by it. Absolutely. When when she sat there in front of them and she brings her chair down as if she's about to lead primary one in a reading lesson, she's, it's, she's kind of got that I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed energy. But also we see a real heart and a depth to that performance. Like you can see it in in the points where the character knows that she's not doing the right thing. Her choices are resulting in her own death. Yeah, I I think also it's that thing, isn't it? You see often all revolution does is, is change the person in charge rather than necessarily change the actions of the regime. So she has become as horrendous as Fedra were before. And it is really made clear, isn't it, how horrendous Fedra were before. They are like almost fascist level, just, I think he says they're rapists and killers and the the stuff they've done in the city over the last 20 years is horrific. So in some ways you see why Kathleen has turned into this person. She's done what she needs to do to survive, but she's not that different. And also survival is the whole theme of this. And to be honest, I'd say Fedra's worse than fascists. We've got fascists in the world right now. There's that beautiful scene in, in her childhood bedroom that, again, Melanie Linsky is just superb in, in that. And we, what I liked about how this was done was that 
we didn't know why she was so focused on Henry and why this was such a big thing. We find it out later on in the episode from Henry, actually. But initially you're thinking, wow, she is tough. I mean, she talks to these collaborators. She's criticising them for trading intel, for medicine, alcohol, apples. She suggests they're going to go and do some trials, after which they'll do a bit of time. But first of all, we need to know where Henry is. And then later she tells Perry to kill them all. But as well as Henry, there's another person that Kathleen hasn't found yet or is missing, and that's that's Ruth, because she's ruthless. Mm. Oh, dear. I thought my jokes were bad. Apple. Just while we're sticking on Kathleen, brushing that aside, I, I think it really showed how much revenge is living rent-free in her head. I saw a documentary on BBC called Forgiving the Unforgivable and it's about a young Muslim guy whose cousin got stabbed and lungs punctured and his journey of forgiveness and he went to all sorts of different experts it was a fascinating documentary I hugely recommend it but that's what I feel with Kathleen is she's just soaked in this need for revenge because I guess that's the only way that she can get some sort of outlet Definitely. And that's where we kind of get this thing where she's obsessed about informers informing. And because I'm of a certain generation, every time she said informer, it just made me think of informer. You know, it's an player. I've been singing that in my head since I've watched the episode nonstop. There's some lovely lines in this as well. One of the informers says, I've told you everything I know. And she says, of course you have. You're a rat. And then when Perry questions whether they need to go out today to go and find Henry, she says, he's not my seventh priority, Perry. Loved it. Get it together, Perry. (laughs) And also, we talked about that line where she says, burn the bodies, it's quicker. I'm wondering if that part, we see a pile of burnt bodies in one of the back alleys in the episode before. And I'm assuming that that's what we're being led to believe that was. Yeah, I made that note as well. I think it's a nice little callback to that pile of ash we saw. So Henry and Sam meet the doctor, Dr. Edelstein, we learn his name is. They've got about 11 days worth of food, no ammo, and Henry talks about escaping through the tunnels. They discuss Sam being scared, and he tells him this place is ugly and hands him over the largest bag of crayons I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I love the graffiti which I assume was all Sam's artwork. It was awesome. And I also loved that later on that Henry made Sam into a superhero with the paint or makeup or whatever it was over his eyes. Yeah, Dr Edelstein says he's scared because you're scared. And I think that's quite an important line at that point, that, you know, Henry is obviously protecting Sam from everything, But equally, he is Sam's only outlet or conduit, should I say, to the rest of the outside world. And so however Henry is magnifies how Sam feels about the world around him. While I do agree with that line, I thought that was a lovely scene. I think he might also be scared because there's fucking mushroom men after them. (laughs) Kids really do pick up on stuff. And I would imagine a kid that communicates through body language will have sensory perception maybe much more than those that are able just to communicate verbally. Saying all kids 
almost definitely have that sensory perception. 100% agree with you. And I think also as one of the one of the things that Henry then does to try and alleviate or allay that anxiety is, is to call him Super Sam. And to kind of lean back into this idea that he's a superhero. I mean, I don't know much about these superheroes, so maybe you guys can correct me. Is it Daredevil is blind, right? And so he's got super hearing? Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess maybe in that world where he reads comics, as we find out, that that's probably been a thing that they've decided that because he has lost that sense, therefore his other senses are heightened and that's maybe a, a coping mechanism that that Sam has used up until that point. I think all of that's really interesting and and throughout this episode we get this idea of Henry trying to preserve Sam's innocence. It happens as well with Joel and Ellie, but those coloring in pencils and the coloring in on the walls to make this place a less scary place. I think it's really beautifully done. Of course Henry's superpower is is that he gives the best hugs. Absolutely. I also I love the fact that it then echoed later on when Ellie and Sam were going to bed and just that chat on his etch sketch type thing. And the fact that she said, I'm fucking scared as well. Like there's nothing wrong with being scared. And you you know, like fear is really important for survival. And this is obviously all about survival. There's a really nice thing about embracing fear and understanding that it's okay to be scared in this episode, I think. We get a 10-day time jump. Doc hasn't come back. He went out looking for food and hasn't returned. Sam asks whether they killed him. We've kind of mentioned this already. They're about to leave because they have run out of food themselves. When we get Joel and Ellie arriving in the scene from the last episode, Henry sees Joel and tells Sam he's got a new plan. And then we very quickly go from there to the moment we ended the last episode on, so they, we see them walking on the broken glass. Yeah, and there's a really beautiful bit there where they step on the glass, they say noisy, and then Henry teaches Sam how to hold a gun like Joel taught Ellie the episode before. And it's a lovely mirror, but you know, as we find out later, the, the difference being that the gun that Ellie has actually has bullets in it, whereas it is very much make-believe for Henry and Sam. They say, don't they, they've got no ammo when they when they meet the Doctor the first time. So Talking about mirrors, I think that's a really central sort of metaphor in this episode. So I think Joel being hard of hearing and not hearing them sneak up and Sam, obviously there's a mirror there. I think the main thing for me was brothers and a brother relationship, because not only are Henry and Sam brothers, but Kathleen is very motivated by the fact that it's her brother who's been betrayed by Henry and died. And that's really her whole drama with them. Um, I know we'll come on to that shortly, but I think there's some really beautiful like mirrors throughout this of different characters. And of course, Joel himself is his whole purpose is finding his brother. There's, there's a, a physical mirror, isn't there, when Henry shows Sam the face paint that he's done with the blade of the knife as well. Great. Henry says, we don't want to hurt, we want to help. <laughs> and then we get this brilliant comedy line. Joel's, I think Joel says, OK, or something like that. And Henry's like, it didn't sound like it was OK. <laughs> And Ellie says, that's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Joel, tell him it's okay. And then his deadpan reaction, everything is great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey are just so perfect in these roles. I think they, the two of them, you could not have cast more perfect people for these these parts, I think. And they're so good together. It's such a good double act. They're Mm. brilliant individually, but there's just something about the way they play off each other that is like, oh, 
sensational. And then Joel asks, who are you? And, he, and Henry replies that he's the most wanted man in Kansas City, but you're a close second. We next see them sharing food from Bill, who's dead. And then again, this wonderful line that is he quoted at the top, you ate, we didn't kill each other. Let's call this a win-win and move on. Yeah, there's another nice nuanced bit just before that, where they're sitting and they're talking, they're saying what each other's names are and how old the kids are. And then Joel offers Sam his food. So up until that point, Joel has pretty much been out for himself. He's tolerated Ellie. That night, they've had a breakthrough. And really, this is only carried on because of wanting to fulfill Tessa's desire. But here he is actively thinking about others and particularly children. Obviously, something that he has a hard wall around him doing anything that involves any kind of emotional interaction with kids. Good shout. So we next go on to this conversation about Kansas City and, and what the last 20 years have been like. They were monsters, savages. And then Joel asks Henry if he was Fedra, and he says, no, worse than that, I was a collaborator. But we learn that Henry's never killed anyone, and he's not particularly violent or capable in that respect. So he needs Joel to help him get out. He can, he's got the roots, but he needs Joel to be the muscle. Yeah, absolutely. And he shows his vulnerability by admitting that the gun wasn't loaded. I think another really important thing here is that um, he admits to being a collaborator, but Joel is pretty disgusted by that. Um, and there's definitely like a lot of judgment from his side. Like he definitely has real feelings about that, which I think is important because they definitely go on a journey with how they feel about each other before the end of the episode. One of the small, I, I mean, I took it as a joke, but maybe not, is that where this scene was set, it was set in a boardroom and here they were making some executive decisions about where they were headed next. As we get to the end of that scene, Sam and Ellie are laughing and they're being kids again. So they're having this moment where they're allowed to have this kind of childlike naivety and innocence that obviously Joel and Henry are trying their hardest to maintain as much as possible. And it's kind of the first time we see the two of them connect as kids playing yeah this is really where like the emotional heft of the episode came from for me what really makes the impact of that final kind of section is that for so much of this we see ellie be a kid and we've not really seen that we've very much seen her hold her own in a world of adults and yeah she's obviously young but this we really really see that she is a child the ellie sam relationship was just so beautiful and affecting um, throughout. The next place they move on once they get into the tunnels before they the, basically the first location they get to is like an underground nursery and it's it's like there's lots more wall paintings in the way that maybe a primary school or nursery would be at which fits in with what we've already had with Sam painting on the walls and also Ellie and Sam had this thing I think it was Ellie who started it, yeah, because Sam doesn't really speak. But Ellie started it, endure, survive, endure, survive. It was almost like a chant or a mantra, and I thought that was very fitting. So one thing we've actually just uh, skipped over is there's a really important plot point with these tunnels that Henry's decided that's how they're getting out, or that's his plan, that he's going to get them out of the city using the tunnels, but does reveal that Fedra trapped loads of infected down there. So there aren't infected in the city above ground but there are lots under the ground and this is really key because he's been told by the federal agencies collaborated with that they're they're gone they cleared out three years ago but joel is not so sure and henry doesn't seem 100 percent, i have to say so they may be going into a tunnel of 
tons and tons of mushroom zombies. Yeah, I think this is the beginning of a lot of bravado from Henry here, which I guess is mainly to make sure Sam feels more safe, but also to maybe to make Joel realise that they're worth keeping around. There's a line where he says to Ellie, your dad's kind of a pessimist. And then they both immediately correct him and say, he's not my dad, she's not my daughter. And that's a line from the game that happens exactly like that in the game. And it's such an important moment. Yeah, neither of them deny that he's a pessimist. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Henry's plan, he describes it as a dicey as fuck plan, but the only shot, at which point I wrote, don't blow it. But yeah, the idea that these tunnels were cleared three years ago isn't really that convincing. And it just plants that seed for the fact that at some point we're going to get something coming out of the ground. And again, we had that in the last episode as well, didn't we, with the crater that was quaking. So we kind of already had that sense of something underground is going to emerge at some point. When they first came across the brightly coloured mural in the in the tunnels, it reminded me of an Egyptian tomb. When I was younger, I went to Egypt and saw those tombs and they have the stuff that's painted in there. They don't know what the paint was made of because nothing that existed back then was able to create such vivid colours that would last such a long time. Well, clearly... There was. Yeah, but they don't know what it was. Talking about those illustrations, and we see there's the board with the four rules. We have the picture which says me and Ish and all that stuff. So that all happens in the game as well. All that stuff you go in, it's slightly slightly different setup, but it's fairly similar inside. It's clearly, like you said, a nursery or a preschool. But this is a place where childlike innocence is kept safe and children are allowed to be children. This is also where the comic book turns up in this scene. We see this comic book. It's a shared interest. Now, in the game, I said this, I think, a couple of episodes ago, collecting comic books is is something that you can do. It's not necessarily integral to the storyline. It's just a side quest, I guess, you can do just to collect the collectibles. But it's very important, and the story in that comic book is kind of it kind of mirrors the world in which Joel and Ellie find themselves in. Because that line, Endure and Survive, comes from the comic books, right? Yeah. So whilst they're playing football, Ellie and Sam, Henry and Joel have a chat and we learn more about who Henry informed on. He describes him as a great man, but that Sam had leukaemia and the one drug that they needed was the one that Fedra had in small supplies. So he needed to give them something big. So he gave them the leader of the resistance, who was Kathleen's brother. This is the big moral dilemma of the episode, right, is whether he did the right thing or the wrong thing. He says, I'm the bad guy because I did a bad guy thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. At that point, I was questioning in my head, not knowing what was likely to happen, whereas I imagine gamers knew where the plot was going. But at that point, I wondered whether there would be a relationship between Joel and Henry. Romantic or platonic? Well, any relationship can be a combination of both, but they seem to be opening up to each other and there seemed to be a respect, whatever kind of attraction it was, but all relationships attraction, even platonic and friendship. But at that point, I wondered whether that might be something because the Henry-Sam relationship and the combination with Joel and Ellie at that point felt like this is like a great little kind of group of, of people. Yeah, I think it's just that they, they see the last serious relationship they have mirrored in the opposite couple, right? And so here in this moment, 
both Henry and Joe are bonding over. Joe says something like, if you collaborated because of him, I get it. I understand. And I'm sorry that I was harsh on you earlier if that's the reason why you did it. Like Bill says in the letter, the episode before, uh, two episodes before, that's our purpose. Our purpose now is to keep this person that we love alive. And for these two, they have to do that. But they also have to maintain, like I said, to at least give them some kind of childhood as well. I think there is that element of, of trying to give Ellie and Sam that too. It comes back to that central thing we've talked about, doesn't it? About what, what's the difference between surviving and living. And they're really trying to make sure that these kids, both of these kids live they don't just survive and speaking of childhood our next scene is in kathleen's childhood bedroom the bunk beds that she would have shared with her her brother michael and we get her moral dilemma which was essentially that michael told her to forgive henry but she can't you know he was so beautiful i'm not he would be horrified by what i'm doing and perry counters that with he was a great man but he didn't change anything you did we're with you and prior to that, she tells this beautiful story about how that room was her safety area. That it was that Michael has said, whatever happens, I think the particular example she gives is that there's a, a raging storm outside. And he says, this area is a safe space for you. So we see yet again another protector trying to keep her safe and feel at ease. And now she's gone. And so that is gone. And probably it seems any humanity that she has left. Yeah, and we have to remember she spent the last 20 years living in Kansas City and was probably quite young when all of that kicked off and started. So they get through the tunnels and Henry, we mentioned him getting cocky in the bravado. He's definitely getting cocky at this point as they got through the tunnels. Ellie tells them that they're going to Wyoming and also that it's possible to change Joel's mind if you just nag him enough. (laughs) She's learning. We love it. Yeah, but what's interesting is the way in which she does that. So she's been very playful in that moment. She's kind of putting on a silly voice. She's really hamming it up and, and playing about. And she doesn't finish what she's saying because, ping, the sniper's bullet hits. And once again, her ability at having a kind of childhood is ripped from her. But also what is lovely at that moment or within five minutes or so of, of when they are being shot at is when Joel says, do you trust me? And she nods. And again, non-verbal communication. Really lovely. So Joel's going to nip round the back to deal with this shooter. And on his way round, sees the bridge and the river. As he gets up there, we find this old man up there. So this happens in the game, this section. It's daytime, slightly different. But this is such a great part of the game. I think Joel says, "What? it's dark and he has a shit aim about why he doesn't get shot, even though there's someone with a sniper rifle trailing him, which is true for the game as well. You you manage to somehow survive a sniper being trained on you. There's a lot of bravado going on in this episode. I don't know how much I appreciate it. I was like, guys. Not just guys, from Kathleen as well. Yeah, Kathleen and Ellie. But yeah, just a lot of like, yeah, we go down the tunnels, might be some infected down there. Probably not though, it's been three years. Yeah, sure, it's not going to shoot me if I run out. No sense of danger at all. Super cash. Well, Joel tells the old man to put the gun down, slide over here and stay up here for another hour. Please don't do it. He's begging this guy not to raise the gun, which of course he does. And we hear the gunshot from outside again. Another example of us not needing to see something, but being able to hear it and know what's going on. Really good stuff. 
Then we hear Kathleen on the radio, hold them there, we're almost there. And there's no time for Joel to do anything apart from yelling, run. Cut to the truck with run written on it, plowing through cars. It was basically a snowplow and Kathleen said, why do you think you're in front? Clear them. Literally just bulldozing their way through them. I couldn't work out whether he was trying to warn the gang to move on or whether it was kind of a bit of a humble brag that he could manage to read run at that distance in the dark. Maybe it's a bit of both. Josh manages to shoot the driver of the truck just in time, but Ellie gets caught in some burning debris. Henry saves her and then they run and hide behind a car. Now this bit was a little bit stretching credulity for me in that Kathleen's talking to Henry She's just the other side of the car to him. She's got all these blokes here with guns. Why not just go around there and grab him? But, you know, we would miss out on all the wonderful dialogue if she'd done that. Number two sends the team to around the back of the house and they literally walk past the car they're hiding behind. If any of them just turned around, they'd have seen the three of them stood, sorry, crouched behind the car. She says kids die all the time. You think the whole world revolves around him, that he's worth everything which really links to ellie right because she is we're led to believe the you know the solution to all of this there's the importance of ellie that she is worth everything and and the, the world could potentially change if she gets to where she needs to go just quickly to jump back to something when joe is using the sniper rifle we see at one point he can't quite pull the chamber back whatever because of that fracture in his hand that we've seen come back so i wonder if that could be an issue again in the future. <laughs> you wonder. <You're>, I wonder, <laughs> since the only one of us who's played the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I imagine um, there's a little bit of a hint there. No, that's not happened at all on the podcast so far. <laughs> this dialogue between Kathleen and Henry is just sensational, though, and I love the bit where she, you know, where she's she's basically saying, like, what right did you have to keep him alive? And she says, this is what happens when you fuck with fate, which I just think is so great and delivered so well. Can't resist, but cut this bit if you want me to use it again at the end. But Kathleen then says, it ends the way it ends. Yeah, which is prophetic, given what's just about to happen in the episode. Because the truck falls into a sinkhole, we get this sound of snarling, and then I've just written, fuck! <laughs> it's just this brilliant moment of nothing and then seconds later loads of infected hundreds coming out yeah fast and hungry infected monsters this is where i um came up with the the pun episode alternative title for this week damien immediately like on screen like yes give it to me this is the first time i think that we see infected really go after and eat a lot of people we've seen some casual biting but they are hungry so I have alternatively titled this episode Breakfast of Champignons. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. But the thing is, if hundreds of infected that come up, we then get like a super infected monster, which I'm sure is like a big challenge when you're playing a video game. It's like the end big of boss. a level baddie type who literally just rips her number two's head off as Kathleen's running away. Yeah, in the game, they're called bloaters, and that was the, the the thing that Bradley and I were desperately not trying to say last episode when we saw that thing going on underground, because, yeah, they are fucking beasts, and they are bullet sponges in the game. So I, I looked at that and I was like, oof, you're going to need more than a gun 
to deal with that because in the game you probably would be using something with a little bit more pep to it. R.I.P. Perry. He had a good run, didn't he? Yeah. Watching this with subtitles on and it uh, just comes on the screen, eerie deep roar before the bloater arrives. I watch this with subtitles on, mainly so I can keep track of any good lines I can note down. And yeah, some of the subtitles throughout watching all of the episodes of this have been chef's kiss. Yeah, it's a really lovely moment of slow-mo, really small moment of slow-mo as Perry turns around and sees this thing, which I also enjoyed. And Uh, shout out to whoever does the subtitles. Then we get Ellie running into the car, right? Ellie's in trouble, Joel's sniping the infected nearer, nearest to her. She manages to get inside this car, but she's followed soon after by an infected child who kind of flops into the car and then flops over the next seat. I just loved how this creature was moving around the car. It was brilliant. Very much me in an Uber after a drunken night out. <laughs> I just want to say, working in a school, I'm surrounded by infected children all the time. How many of them try and bite you? More than a handful. <laughs> Ellie and Joel rescue Henry and Sam between them from under a car and they're about to escape when Kathleen stops them but there's a clicker behind her and so she meets her fate. She is breakfasted on. How amazing that there she is. She's killed by a child. Children die all the time and guess what Kathleen? A dead child is going to kill you too. (laughs) It's a great exit. It's, it's really, really good. I thought she would be around for longer. I was surprised by it, but it felt so satisfying seeing her die. Yeah, and I just, there's something so great about the fact that right up until the last minute, she is so hell-bent on killing Henry. They are literally running away and she's like, stop, and turns the gun on them. And it's like, mate, priorities. It's a mm. fucking big mushroom man. Like, <laughs> you can't be killed by bullets smashing around behind you and number two's head's been ripped off just let them go what i loved about this scene as well is how much it mirrored the opening scene in the first scene we have the rebellion of the people killing all the fedra and this kind of bloodlust and here we have all of these guys in kansas city just being ripped apart by this mega horde of zombies the same level of destruction violence and fire everywhere yeah and if she had just let it go then these people would probably all still be alive that's where the episode ends we don't need to talk that nothing else happens after that yeah i really appreciated how it wrapped this one up with just a very happy ending Yeah, and also there there was another conversation where Joel invited Henry and Sam to come to Wyoming with them, and they did, but that added to my feeling that maybe there may be a relationship growing there, whether it's the tonic or survivalist or, or whatever it is. So Henry tells Sam to go to sleep, but Ellie continues to read to him, and they discuss via the magic pad being scared. We've got more of the chat between Henry and Joel, where Joel, as we said, invites them to join on the long walking tour to Wyoming. And Henry says, it'd be nice for Sam to have a new friend. I'll tell him in the morning, new day, new start. And of course, that's going to be fine because he'll definitely be able to tell him first thing in the morning. What could go wrong? Just whenever someone says something like that in this TV show, I instantly am just like... (laughs) You know, it's like when everyone's like, first thing in the morning, we'll do this. Or I think we're finally okay now. Or things are really turning a corner. You're just like, right, okay, so bring on the at four bloodbath. The conversation with the itch to sketch. So I've written down, are you scared? 
do I not look scared from Ellie? So Sam asks, are you scared? And Sam says, never. And then Ellie says, scared all of the time of scorpions. And then Ellie also says, I'm scared of ending up alone, which I thought was really interesting because considering the heart of this and also having watched After Sun recently, the whole heart of this is the connection and being together and the kind of father-daughter or the brother's connection that each of them have. And then Sam says, if you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? Which again, I thought was a really profound question and insight. Then Ellie says that her blood is medicine and she gives some of her blood to Sam. And then Sam asks, stay awake with me. And Ellie says, I promise. Yeah, there's loads that happens there, isn't there? So I guess my my question is for you three who didn't play the game. At what point did you think, shit, I think Sam might be bitten? Was it by this point? So for me... I think there was a definite teaser of something was going to go wrong when they hold the whole, we'll tell him tomorrow, because this TV show loves to fuck with us and our emotions. Let's be real. But it's when he asked the question about, do you think you still see the same inside? I was like, oh no, something's happened. And then when he shows you the bite, because that's the moment, isn't it? He, she's sort of debating what to say. And before the blood is medicine bit, that all happens because he shows her the bite, which was the point I screamed no really loudly. You foresaw what was going to happen way before me, because I thought maybe he was the same as Ellie, that he was also a special child that could be bitten, but wasn't showing any signs of being infected like Ellie is. For me, the WTF moment was in the morning. Similarly to Izzy, you know, I, I didn't really think, even when he'd asked that question, it wasn't until he pulled his trouser leg up that I was like, no! But I thought, it's just his foot. Chop his foot off. That's all they need to do. Go and tell Joel, chop his foot off, I'll be fine. Yeah, but she looks, doesn't she? She looks at the door, where I guess she's kind of thinking, oh, should I say something to the adults? But then that's more of that childlike naivety, I think, where she thinks, oh, well, my blood is medicine. I'm sure... I can fix this, we'll be okay. But what's really interesting about this whole section is how much of it is in the game and how much of it isn't. So in the game, spoilers for the game, Sam goes off and says he's going to count the number of tins and then he's going to go to sleep. They're all in another room. Ellie goes to wake him up the next day and then boom, crashes in. Uh, But there's lots of hints that something's not all right with Sam. But what I really liked about the beginning of this conversation, to loop back to it, because there's quite a lot in there, is that he says to her, are you scared? And that's maybe the second or third time that someone has had a conversation with Sam asking about whether someone is scared or not. And she says, only scared of scorpions, which is dialogue in the game as well. Horrendous stuff. Neil, you mentioned the morning. She promises not to go to sleep, and then we cut to her being asleep, and he's sat facing the window and turns around and he's clearly infected. I didn't wonder if being immune to the cordyceps virus, one of the side effects was narcolepsy. Because <laughs> she wasn't tired in the car and then she suddenly fell asleep. I wanted to jump back to something else where she said she was scared of ending up alone. What were people's thoughts on that? Mine was that because she, as far as she's aware, she's the only person immune 
to the virus. So is that the reason that she will end up alone? Or is it because everyone around her has died or a bit of column A, column B? What are all your thoughts? It's a bit of column A, column B, isn't it? I think she's absolutely seen so many people die in front of her on screen already, but probably even before that. But then I do think there's something probably really lonely about the fact that, yeah, they might be able to replicate this immunity she's got. But if not, she will just continue to see everyone die and she'll be alone. And that must be terrifying. It's a real double-edged sword, isn't it? And also she's found this connection with a parental figure through Joel. And although she said that she trusts him, she must be scared of losing him because at the moment he's the only person that she has agree with all of that so then henry initially stops joel from dealing with sam and then henry himself shoots sam in the head and then turns the gun on himself oh ellie was as devastated as i was yeah that was a huge shock to me i didn't expect it at all if i was close to tears at any point that was when yeah i think it's just the the hope from ellie that her blood will work and it not working and she's so there's that real childlikeness that she's so convinced that it's going to be okay and then it's not and that's just her realization in that moment is so heartbreaking but also there's a little pause between henry shooting sam and turning the gun on himself felt really long it wasn't it was a few seconds but there is a a kind of minute where joel's really pleading with him and being like give me the gun give me the gun and he kind of can't believe what he's done and then yeah then he, he goes for it and you sort of you sort of see it coming just before it happens it felt horribly slow that moment to me Yeah, so in the game, we see Henry shoot himself, whereas in the show, we cut to Ellie's reaction. We hear the bang off screen, like we had previously in the episode of a shot being fired, not seen. And we see Ellie's face. And like you said, and we've been talking about through this episode, that's it. All semblance of innocence, childlike naivety is now gone. Yeah, because she's the one who, you know, they, they dig the graves for the two boys. And she's the one who's, you know, saying which way is west and driving them forwards. Just before she goes, obviously, she puts the magic pad on the grave with the words, I'm sorry, written on. This is what I was saying earlier about the real emotional heft of this episode for me, coming from the fact that we get to see Ellie being a kid for so much of it. It just makes that that end so much more of a gut punch. It's awful anyway, but then it, it is like the loss of innocence. And we've seen her be so adult. We've seen people die in front of her. We've seen, you know, Tess, all, all that kind of stuff. But there's just something so brutal about this one. Yeah. And so she's kind of like, come on then, which way's west? Let's move. And Joel has a look at that pad and then he picks up his backpack and he slings the sniper rifle over his shoulder now in the game this is a third person action adventure game so we are always kind of maybe a foot or two behind joel or ellie or whoever we're playing in that moment and so what you see a lot of the time is that shot of the backpack and the various weapons that joel has so that's quite a nice little easter egg for the players there great stuff well we will eagerly await episode six of the last of us should we talk about what else we've been watching I have been watching a lot. I've only got two episodes left of Andor. Andor what? Thank you very much, Izzy. That's much appreciated. Also, shout out to listener Lawrence Allison for Andor watching me earlier this week. That's not a euphemism. (laughs) So what did you think, Damo? So everyone's told me there's this moment that happens around, I don't know, the first third or halfway through the series that changes everything. You'll just want to inhale it all in one go. I don't know what that moment is. I haven't found it. I can take an educated guess. 
you've seen the Andy Circus section now, yeah. right? That whole prison section of that show for me is kind of the, the peak. Although I think the final two episodes are brilliant. And it's your enjoyment of the show, Demo, being enhanced by listening to the podcast episodes that Neil and I recorded. Wait, are you telling me that TV DNA not only covers such shows as Better Call Saul, The Walking Dead, Succession, Happy Valley, uh, they also cover huge shows like Andor and maybe Boba Fett as well? And also The Last of Us. (laughs) Cool. Anything else you've been watching? In answer to your question, yes, I have been listening to them and enjoying them as I get through each section of the series. So I've listened to three of the four, enjoyed them immensely. I have also enjoyed immensely Braveheart, which I watched for the fifth time, not in a row, uh, in my life, uh, last night. And I forgot how much a beautiful film it is. It's one of my favourites. Being half English, half Scottish, I have very confused feelings by the end of the film. Are part of the confused feelings down to Mel Gibson's incredibly dodgy accent? (laughs) I actually don't think it's too bad. I've heard far worse Scottish accents on screen. But, I mean, I'm plastic anyway, so I don't know whether my ear is as attuned as it should be. You're not Scottish, Damo. You claim you are. You're not actually Scottish. I've got a whole clan back in me, all right? Okay, so which football team in Scotland do you follow? The one and only Glasgow Celtic. A grand old team to play for, they're a grand old team to see. And if you know your history, it's enough to make your heart go, no more, that's enough. When did they last win? Last win what? Champions League or the European Cup, Winners' Cup? Well, they've won the Scottish Premier League many times, but that's not hard. I'm pretty sure at some point I've seen you in a kilt. Oh, you've definitely seen me in a kilt. If you wish to uh, follow any of my social medias, you will definitely see a picture of me in a kilt at some, some time. TV DNA live episode. Oh, don't tempt me. (laughs) We could increase or decrease our listeners. (laughs) Gotta sell tickets to that live show somehow. Which is a good point, Izzy. Tickets for TV DNA live are on sale now via the Spaces website, which is space.org.uk if you go onto the what's on page you'll be able to find that if you go into the online theatre page of that website you'll be able to find live stream tickets available for that as well well so you're telling me if one of our many beautiful loyal lovely listeners aren't able to make it to the space that evening they would be able to either watch it live at some other part of the world or should they be busy for some reason something more important than the live show they can watch it maybe within the following seven days, Craig David. Indeed, they can. Indeed, they can. We should also say 26th of February, Sunday the 26th of February at 7pm is when that live show is happening. And Damien will be in a kilt. There's going to be loads of loads of great fun things happening on that night and we've got lots of different things that we're cooking up. Damien wears a kilt, I'll wear sarong. There we go. Gornet Lane down. Izzy, have you been watching anything? Yeah, I've started Yellow Jackets. My plan is to finish the first season of that before the new one comes out in March. So I've had double Melanie Linsky this week and it's been delightful. Highly recommend. Oh, wow, the kilts made an appearance on screen. (laughs) Get you so wrong ready, Neil. But yeah, thoroughly enjoying that. Excellent, excellent pilot. So good. Pilot of the plane that they were flying in, not not quite as good, but... (laughs) But there we go. But yeah, thoroughly enjoying that. So that's my main. 
thing that I'm on at the moment. Yeah, it's brilliant. Really love Yellow Jackets. I don't know whether I'll get time, but I really wanted to try and rewatch it before the new season starts. Glad you're enjoying that. How about you, Neil? You've been watching anything else? How's Oscar Watch going? I thought I'd watched Talk on Maverick, but actually hadn't. I love the whole thing of nominating films like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water that so many people have watched. Like the votes and the reason why they're nominated isn't purely because the elite have selected them, but actually, you know, the the, the people as a majority have all said, I really want to watch this. I haven't seen Avatar Way of Water yet, but Top Gun Maverick actually, I think, is a more mature film, both in the performances and in the narrative and the dialogue than the first one, even though it's an iconic film. Well, Avatar now is a word that triggers me, unfortunately, because I have been trying for a while now to carve out some time to go to the cinema to see some of these films on the big screen. And I went to my Cineworld listing page and found Avatar, and I needed to go as late as possible in the evening. And the latest one was a, a 4DK screening. Now, I had no idea. I didn't, didn't really even think about what 4DK might mean. I just assumed it was the name of one of the screens. So I go into the cinema, and I sit down, and there's a footplate on my chair. So I have to put my feet on this chair, and I think, this is a bit weird. And then a trailer comes on, which, which demonstrates what 4DK is capable of, which is basically pummeling you in the back every time there's a gunshot or an arrow fired, shaking you around every time there's any major movement on screen, and blowing cold air into your neck and your feet. And it was like watching a film from within a washing machine. It was just the most horrible experience of the last few years. And we've been through COVID. <laughs> I would have thought, well, certainly 3D, if not 4D, that would be a great experience. But it sounds like it's not. It was impossible to focus on the film because I was just like, when is this going to end? When am I going to stop moving around? But it was really, really horrendous, horrendous experience. I don't know why anyone, you know, they talk about golf being a way of ruining a good walk. Like 40K is the best way to ruin watching a film at the cinema. I wonder, like, what would be an alternative great film to see in 40K? Because, I mean, Avatar The Way of Water, number one, it's meant to be really long, right? And also there's lots of stuff in it that just sounds quite unpleasant. But there's got to be films where in 40K it would probably be quite nice. There's 20, 30-minute action sequences in Avatar. It's a three-hour film. I mean, I know I'm an old man, but it was just horrendous. There needs to be a film about cuddling golden retrievers that they put in 40K. I'd watch that. <laughs> my, my question is, Adam, I haven't seen it yet. Does it need to be three hours long? Because I've literally just watched the first one for the first time today and thought, geez, they could have easily shaved 20 minutes off this film. Yeah, it doesn't need to be three hours long. It, it definitely doesn't. On the subject of long films, I watched Black Panda, Wakanda Forever the other day, which is similarly impressive. It's about like two hours, 48 minutes or something. Very, very good. Could have done with an edit. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I mean, we went through a period... Well, we certainly went through a period with theatre where we were getting like kind of one hour, maybe 70 minutes plays. And I absolutely loved that. 
and then films went through a period of short films but it does feel at the moment that we get I mean all quite on the western fronts even after Sunday there's lots of films that don't need to be as long as they are none of these filmmakers have had a pith I'll tell you something if you want a good film to watch that is a classic wonderful 86 minutes perfect Palm Springs, which came out in 2021, 2022, 86 minutes long. It's it's phenomenal. Tells a great story, does it quickly. Everyone gets out in time for dinner. Love it. Talking about taking the pith, can I just double check something, Isabel? Did you say Black Panther or Black Panda? Black Panther. I thought you said Black Panda. I definitely heard Black Panda. <laughs> Black Panther, Wakanda forever. I loved Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. <laughs> I genuinely did. And Angela Bassett's amazing in it. And the whole film, again, is potentially better than the original. And I hate to say that because I don't want to diss what is a huge homage to Chadwick Boseman, but hugely recommend that film. I don't think Angela Bassett will win Best Supporting Asset. <laughs> I don't think she will either. I don't think Angela Bassett will win Best Supporting Actress because of the other nominations. But it's an amazing, it's a great film. If if you're a a fan of Black Panther or superhero films, it's it's a really really good film. I guess Best Supporting Asset is more for the uh, costume category. One thing I will say is that it introduces us to Riri Williams, who's going to be in Ironheart, which I think is coming out later this year. So I'm very, very excited about that. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be a TV show, isn't it, Ironheart? That's going to be a TV show. Excellent. Talking of TV, which is what our podcast's about, (laughs) let's move back to that. I've got a few shows that I've finished this week and a few others that I've started. So I'll try and rattle through these as quickly as I can. But Extraordinary is my pick of the ones that I've finished. I've banged on about this for a few weeks now. Really, really loved it. Kept on being funny all the way throughout. Definitely recommend that. Lockwood & Co. I finished. It's really well made. I think it skews teenage a little bit harder than some of the edgier YA stuff. Even Willow, I think, was a bit edgier than Lockwood & Co., but it's a really well-built world, strong cast, good special effects, and a kind of serviceable plot. It's a solid, worthy show. And The Haunting of Hill House was the other one that I finished, which is an old show, but definitely one of the most beautiful TV shows I've ever seen in my life. If you can handle the horror, it's really, really stunning. I also started and finished Nolly, which is on ITVX, which we previewed previously, but I don't think we've talked about it since. It's got Con O'Neill in it again. He's like in every show I'm watching at the moment. Happy Valley, Our Flag Means Death. He is again superb in this. But yeah, Helena Bonham Carter and Rusty Davis recreate Noel Gordon, Crossroads star who was unceremoniously sacked from her role after a long, long time. She was the biggest star in Crossroads. The three-part show kind of covers essentially that why she was sacked and kind of what she did during and after that period. It's a really lovely homage to a star that wasn't particularly well known, I think, until this show came out. Definitely not spoken about in the same same way as Barbara Windsor and, and other big soap actresses, but huge gay icon. And Larry Grayson turns up in the show. She was very, very good friends with Larry Grayson. And one of my earliest TV memories is watching Larry Grayson on The Generation Game. I just thought he was absolutely hilarious. 
and learned through this show, doing a bit of reading around this show, that he was in the closet and for his entire life, Larry Grayson was it only came out the memoirs after his death. Though obviously his performance was was highly camp. He was never publicly out. Nolly, really enjoyable. I would definitely recommend it's a, a good three episode watch. Now I've also got Paramount Plus. I've retired Amazon Prime from my streaming services for the time being. I nearly got rid of Netflix once I'd finished Lockwood & Co and The Haunting of Hill House, but Catherine wanted me to keep it. So I've gone for Paramount Plus. I'm going to watch it for about a month or so and see how I get on. But I've started the second season of Your Honour, which again, we talked about last week, and it is really, really good. It's not quite as propulsive as season one was because that starts with a huge, huge event. But I think it's really clever in the way that it's taken that story on because season one was very much kind of a whole complete thing rosie perez is a new guest star in that but all of the cast are, are great it's just lovely spending time with brian cranston again and there are some pretty uh incredible scenes in those first two episodes there is another show Damien. on paramount plus that i watched when i had my week-long subscription to it uh, called the offer adam i don't know if that has passed you by yet or not or if you're interested in watching it yeah, I, again, I was really interested in watching it, so I'll definitely put that on the list. I am looking for a Paramount Plus recommendations, so if there's any listeners out there who've got Paramount Plus and can recommend things, I picked up 1923. I've watched the first episode of that, which is the in the Yellowstone universe, stars Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. So I'm getting double doses of Harrison Ford because he's also in Shrinking. On which Apple. I love. So good. Yeah, Shrinking is brilliant. Neil? Why are we talking about this? Adam only watches on Apple. Well, the other thing that I have started watching is Dear Edward. I watched the first episode of Dear Edward, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. It's kind of sickly sweet. It's a bit schmaltzy, but I'm going to give it a little bit longer. This is the one with her from the first season of White Lotus, Connie Britton. I nearly said Fern Britain then, but that's a different Britain. Connie, the greater Britain, is very, very good in this. But yeah, it's a bit too early. And the final one that I've started is Funny Woman. And again, I only watched the first episode of this. This is on Sky and Now TV and is a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of split screen stuff going on, lots of old school footage. And she's very, very good. I can't remember again. Her name escapes me, Izzy. You know it, don't you? Gemma Arston. That's the one. Gemma Arston is very, very good in the lead role of this. And I think it will be a, a good, fun show to watch. If you're looking for a Paramount Plus recommendation, The Flat Share is very good. Definitely tune into that. Very kind of light, but very funny and very enjoyable. And features Space Productions alumni Bart Edwards as a right wrong'un. Great stuff. Mayor of Kingstown is one that I've put on my list. She's a Jeremy Renner show, but I haven't got around to watching that yet. Looking forward to, to seeing what Paramount Plus has to offer. So, not much coming soon this week, but there is an Apple TV show coming out on Friday the 17th of February, and that's Hello Tomorrow. In a retro-futuristic world, charismatic salesman Jack Billings leads a team of fellow sales associates determined to revitalise their customers' lives by hawking timeshares on the moon! This stars Billy Crudup and Hank Azaria. And yeah, I think it looks quite good. The sort of 50s, 60s vibe, but with flying cars and stuff. I'm really excited about this. I've seen um, trailers for it during Shrinking. And yeah, I think it looks 
fab. I'm really into anything that has space as a kind of central theme and anything with a bit of a retro feel. So yeah, this looks great. Also, Hank Azaria, I think, really underrated actor. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty much it. Picard season three and Carnival Rose season two also come out on Friday the 17th of Feb if anyone is interested in those shows, not ones that I think I'll be picking up. You're telling me when it comes to Picard season three, you're not interested to make it so. <laughs> No, not at all. And then the only bit <laughs> of news that I've got is there's a, a release date for the Luther movie. Did any of you watch Luther, Idris Elba, Detective Show? Those who did will be very excited to know there's a one-off movie coming out on the 10th of March, which also stars and Andy Serkis. And or what? And or <laughs> Luther, the movie. And or Serkis. Oh, and or Serkis. Very good. That's it, I'm done. Anyone else got anything else? Just the socials. Just the socials, Damo. What are they? It's a really good question. So, listeners, you know we love you. We think you're fantastic. And, and obviously, you can find us on the social medias. If you put TV DNA Pod on Instagram and Twitter, you will find us there. If you put TV Space DNA in the search bar of Facebook, Google, or any so other search engine that you like, you will find a way to contact us. But if you're really old school and you like an email, you can send us a tvdnapod at gmail.com or if maybe like some members, the good burgers of Greater Bumblefuck, you can send a carrier pigeon directly to Neil. All the pigeons know how to find me. So I think there is only one line from this episode of The Last of Us that we can finish on. There was another line that I liked, but there was no place to bring in. When Ellie's reading the comic to Sam, at one point she reads out one of the lines which says, stiff negative and i think we've all had those nights i i haven't actually um, you talk for yourself okay neil give us give us the line well maybe it's not the line you're thinking but my final line is which way's west izzy save me have you got the line that i'm referring to no but i have got point your light forward and be ready to run it ends it ends, it ends, it ends. How it ends. It ends. live long and prosper after three. One, two, three. It ends it's when it ends. Survive and endure. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I'm feeling dick now. It's fucking chaos this evening. What's going on? Right, we'll be back next week with The Last of Us, episode six. It ends the way it ends. <laughs>